0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nahum Siegel Network, NahumSiegal.com. And Phil, political earthquake that we've had in Western Pennsylvania. We waited, we waited for weeks for this special election. Connor Lamb versus Joe Sicone, the battle of people who wanna serve in a congressional seat for only a couple months until it's redistricted and the and the and what happens, a district that President Trump carried by nineteen or twenty points is now one right now it seems by a couple hundred votes, six hundred forty one votes right now. Connor Lamb leads Joe is Democrat leading the Republican in western Pennsylvania with five hundred votes left to count. So that would seem to be, as far as I can tell for my limited proficiency in math, what was now be known as an insurmountable lead what happened
1: this i think is really and and we we talked about this a bit post alabama um, and what happened there with the democrat obviously taking on for the first time in and quite a while taking a, a winning a senate seat in alabama and we talked about the idea of of what is a bellwether district whether that w- is considered a bellwether is that should send any signal if that one did take that debate and throw it out the window because what happened what happened on tuesday night is i think indicative of what is to come uh this race was the republicans spent a ton of money i think that the republicans ten million dollars over 10 million dollars on ads tying um tying lamb to the democratic party tying him to nancy pelosi using sort of everything out of the playbook and unfortunately or fortunately i guess independent you are this is a district where trump won by more than 20 points the democrats have now taken this seat and so There are over, when you think about what this means, and and we could talk about it in Pennsylvania and sort of the campaign, and we can dig into that a bit. But when you talk about what this means, there are, and and sort of over the last couple of days, and there's a lot of people who have been digging into the numbers, but there are over 100 districts where Trump didn't do that well that are going to be hotly contested in 2018, not to mention how many retirements, right, are coming out of the Republican Party. And so if you're a Republican, And you are putting – if you are putting any any money or any faith into the upcoming elections, I think you have a lot to be worried about after this week's results.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's a lot for the Republicans to worry about here. I always take special elections with a grain of salt because they are – I think – We've actually had quite a few, even on the the state level. We've had state Senate seats that we've seen, Wisconsin, Florida. Some of these Republican seats have turned over to Democrats. We've actually had it even in New York. Uh, we've had the New Jersey governor, Virginia governor, this this was a strange election in many ways. But I agree with you that this alarm bell should be going. And we've talked about that. We've said over and over, alarm bells should be ringing all over the place. Uh, this is actually the first time that you've had, you know, we had it in Georgia, we had it in Montana, uh, that the first time that Democrats became competitive in places they'd never been competitive, and now all of a sudden they've actually won. And this is, uh, but the interesting thing here is that a lot of people thought that Conor Lamb was going to win by five, six points. That was the polling. It ended up being even. I'm not saying either way. That's, uh- no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is not a, a huge issue, but you know, what are the takeaways here? I mean, one thing. If I look at this and I'm a Republican, what am I worried about? I'm worried about messaging. Okay. Conor Lamb ran against the tax cut and he won. Conor Lamb ran against Nancy Pelosi and he managed to win. Okay. He was, uh, he says he's pro life, even though not, you know, doesn't seem to be 100%, but that the Democrats were willing to go with him, despite that's that being a big issue. And he's pro-gun. So there's a lot of is there a lane in the Democratic Party for a guy who doesn't have all the Democratic Orthodoxies or the 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 California slash New York type of party to run as a moderate, to run as this type of person who says he won't vote for Nancy Pelosi. And to right, and if that's the case, if they can put together that type of person who can appeal to the middle then I agree that in many cases, many of these districts, Republicans have a problem.
1: And look, and I'll I'll turn it around on you and and say the opposite. Look, Lamb was a great candidate. I mean, you're talking about a a tall, good looking guy who spoke well, was a Marine, who again, was very moderate on the issues, who spent a lot of time on the ground. I mean, from what I understand, the Democrats spent a ton of time and a ton of funding on their ground game and really grassroots organizing and getting out the vote and getting their message out. And so, I would say that he was a great candidate, right? You know, he wasn't an elected official. Saccone was actually an elected official sure. in the state legislature, and so, you know, he had that going for him. But again, this was a great candidate. And you and I both know that you know across the country, you're not going to find you're not going to find such great candidates in every district to be competitive. However, I think as you laid out quite well, is that you know. We talked about the tax plan as being like, look, the reason the Republicans were so adamant about moving this forward, about getting it done, is because they needed a talking point for the 2018 election. What was fascinating, by Republican polling numbers, said that it didn't actually poll very well in this district. Right. And so they didn't use it. I mean, they spent $10 million on messaging in this race and actually didn't use the tax plan. And so if you're a Republican, I think you have to start wondering, what are you going to say? I mean, and I, I think the message out of out of this race, and you saw it from both candidates trying to win this, win that idea, we're going to be independent and we're going to try and get something done. I think they both kind of ab- abandoned the idea, the ideologues on both sides and tried to sort of speak to that middle. And I think if you're a Republican, you know, sort of having represented your district for the last two years with almost very little accomplishment, the one notable accomplishment you've made you're afraid to talk about, I think you should be nervous.
0: Well, there's no... The other thing is there's only one Donald Trump. I think that that's the case. I, I mean, we've seen this a couple times, whether it's in Virginia with Ed Gillespie trying to kind of become Trump. This Joe Cohn from the get-go say, actually said that he was Trump before Trump. I don't even know exactly what that means. but We've but, heard that before from candidates. But he way. says... We but, have heard that. But he figures, okay, Trump won the district by 20 points. I'll be Trump, and therefore I'll get the same thing. It clearly doesn't transfer over. The president comes to the district... On Saturday, Sunday, yeah. has a rally, goes on for that, barely mentions, actually, Joe Sucotan during the rally, which is, was quite remarkable if you watched. Uh, I certainly didn't watch all 75 minutes, but we've actually seen that the Trump charisma is not transferable to others. It
1: was more than just Trump. I mean Donald Trump came in uh, over the weekend. Uh, Mike Pence was here. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, Don they, Jr. was they here. They had
0: every Republican luminary. And And actually, Conor Lamb had all the Democrats stay away, except for Joe Biden.
1: That's right. And Joe Biden is wildly popular. In uh, Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Absolutely wildly popular. But I thought it was so fascinating because you're right. I didn't watch the 75 minutes of President Trump's speech either. But the couple minutes I did hear where he did reference uh, Joseph Cohn, he basically said, like, I won this by 20 points. I'm even more popular today. And so, Joe, don't worry. You're going to win and you're going to win by a lot. That's what he said. Folks, you know, and I I woke up early this morning and and was already having this conversation. Unfortunately, in in shul this morning, Mm -hmm. I was already sort of having this conversation where it was a very, very simple point to make was that. Donald Trump won by 20 points. We're 14 months later and clearly he is no longer popular in this district. And so everybody who is is running around saying, "Well, Donald Trump is still popular and and the fake news media and and their claims of 33 33% approval ratings is false. Here's the proof. Proof's in the pudding. We had an election on Tuesday night where, you know, in a in an area where Donald Trump and and a Republican should have walked into office. I mean, this wasn't even a competitive Two years ago, the Democrats are probably not even running anybody in this race. Well, they actually
0: didn't. The The interesting thing is... By the way, uh, I'm hearing from the uh, outside that it's Rick Saccone. I know I said Joe, and I'm like... Uh it's like four or five times here, but that's fine um, because in the end, nobody's going to remember him anyway at this point. It's gonna be a we
1: friend, already forgot
0: a footnote <laughs> in history. I guess he goes back to the Pennsylvania House uh, at this point. But yeah, they didn't. The Democrats haven't run anybody in a while. This is interesting. This is actually a classic Trump Democrat. Type of district because there are actually more enrolled Repo- uh, Democrats in this district than there are Republicans. But the numbers have been so great for Republicans for so long in this district that it's that they actually haven't run anybody. As I said before, this district is actually going away under the new uh, the new drawing of lines that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has uh, has ruled. They ruled, um, as we t- I talked about a couple weeks ago, it, they ruled the gerrymandering that happened in Pennsylvania to be illegal. And they redrew the lines. This district and both the candidates, Rick Saccone and Connor Lamb, actually live in different districts. So we'll see how long they have to go. But I think we're. If you're a Democratic strategist, which of course you are, um, what do you say now to Democratic candidates now looking at 2018? They look at this. I think clearly you, you're not, you can't be overconfident. This is one race, and it's tough. It's always gonna to be tough to win certain districts because many of them are pretty lopsided. There are not a lot of swing districts out there. What do you say to a Democratic candidate as to how to run against uh how you know, how do you run against the Republicans? It it can't I don't know that the just Trump is terrible message works.
1: You know, interestingly enough, and I, I'm going to give a tremendous amount of credit, Congressman Jerry Nadler, who now became the ranking mem- member on the Judiciary Committee, which is the committee that would be charged with or or be the committee that be leading a potential, quote unquote, impeachment. Sort of there was talk immediately, not too long ago about, well, if the Democrats take over, like, oh, are we gonna are, are we going to go to impeach Donald Trump or not? And Jerry Nadler, to his credit, said, like, everybody, let's, Let's let's take it easy, folks. You know, we haven't won anything yet and, and we shouldn't be thinking with that mindset of let's plan already for for when we take over if we haven't taken over. And so I think what you said is exactly right. You know, as somebody who talks to a tremendous, you know, a ton of Democrats and and is um, and tries to be helpful wherever possible, I would say that, you know, it's not just about the mainstream, whether it's the Democratic Party talking points, the Republican Party talking points. And I think what you look at from La- uh, from Tuesday night's race is is that both candidates kind of abandoned those mainstream talking points from both sides of the party. And we're targeting sort of everyday Americans sort of in the district about issues that actually mattered to the people within that district. And so in this district, you know, and and I I was listening, coal played a big piece of it. And so you found both candidates talking a lot about coal. I think... You have to look to the districts. Um, I think there's no question that the Democratic base is enthused. They're more energized. They're more excited. They're more charged. You're going to see a larger Democratic turnout, but you've got to step away from the national talking points and the ideological talking points and start talking to the districts that you're trying to represent. And what about Nancy Pelosi? I uh, Look, abandon her. Abandon her now, abandon her, you know, forever and ever. I thought it was a big mistake that Nancy Pelosi was once again voted in as minority leader. As we sit here today in the district of Kathleen Rice, I'm, I feel I, I feel it's no problem saying that that like it was time for change as a Democrat. The Democratic Party needs change. I think Nancy Pelosi is an, much like others in the Republican Party. And I'll let you sort of pick out who those are maybe the president is one you know and again we I let you opine on that for a moment, a moment but but Nancy Pelosi is an albatross around democratic candidates neck and if you look at as candidates especially in 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 districts that were trump districts people don't want to see the same old thing they want to see pragmatic energetic change and Nancy Pelosi is not that message of change and and you saw it i mean if we saw anything in in Pennsylvania there was sort of a a candidate on the Democratic Party who was walking away from a lot of Democratic ideals. It's not about that anymore. It's no longer sort of the party of the far right and the far left. It's about talking to the people, getting something done.
0: Well, you could actually say that in many ways, Conor Lamb was embracing Democratic Party ideals. He was actually doing what Many, like Joe Biden, for example, had said that Hillary Clinton should have done in 2016, is speaking to the white working class, getting away from identity politics, embracing unions. I, I hate to be throwing the Democratic you know, playbook back in there, but a lot of things that the Democrats, uh, and when I say unions, not just the public sector unions. I mean, Democrats, in many cases, only seem to focus on the public sector unions, leaving the private sector unions actually totally behind. Yeah, but- and, 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 and that's and and that seems to be a way in which they can go ahead and take peel peel away these democrats who have flocked to Trump because they're looking for change.
1: Yeah, but here here's what I would say. I mean, especially given sort of the the talk of the day and the talk of this week about gun control, you know, you didn't see the democrat the democrat in the Pennsylvania race shying away from his, you know, sort of pro-gun approach or anti sort of stricter gun control approach i mean he sort of arguably he could have said hey look what's going on in the country as you know where democrats are coming out and you know i'm, I'm gonna go that way and he said no look here's what i believe here's what i think the people of this district want and i'm gonna do the best i can to represent them
0: well that's an easy one I, mean, no, I, does, I does, does anybody not say that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here
1: let me tell you something. You know, it's I'm gonna do my best. You'd be surprised. Look, you'd be surprised of those people, and, and you see it all the time. And I, you know, I follow now, and, and and my job takes me to state legislatures all across the country, and you see it all the time where you sometimes get to your, and, and you've heard me say this before. You get to your state capital, or you get to Washington. You sometimes. You know, it, it, the excitement, the the air in the in the capital sometimes get to you, and you forget sometimes who you're there to represent. You get caught up in whether it's the legislative priorities or the, the federal priorities or your state's priorities, and you forget sometimes the nitty-gritty, the 100,000, the 200,000, the, 200, the 600,000 people you actually represent and what matters to them most. Look, that's why incumbents sometimes lose elections, right? Because they lose their way. You're seeing more and more people are, are going to sort of get away from the ideological sort of flashy politics and talk more about sort of the nuts and bolts of what matters to people um look we we didn't sort of get deeply into sort of the the donald trump effect here i mean you know is the 20 points is it sort of is that and i i would lead some to think that right but is is that a referendum on donald trump do those people now think he's doing a poor job i mean i've made that case today but i'm not sure that's that's the truth and i'm not sure just running against donald trump is the the key to victory
0: right I, i we don't know exactly we haven't seen exactly who came out and how many people who voted in this election voted in 2016 and that of course over the next i think is a couple weeks it's going to be interesting a lot of people will be peeling that back to see whether i mean one thing that we know happened is that Trump got many people who hadn't voted and don't vote regularly off their couches and got them to the polls because you had turnout particularly in rural areas that was very significant. One thing you saw from this so watching the returns last night uh, was uh, was the fact that or I guess you know early in the morning yesterday was the uh, was that there was in the rural counties there didn't seem to be that big a margin for the Republican and not the margin certainly that he needed whereas Trump versus Clinton in some of these rural areas I mean the the, the margins were absolutely astounding and so you, you don't know what it was that the suburban voters who took revenge was there a lot of buyer's remorse were there people who voted for Trump and who didn't want to vote for Rick Sacone, just didn't like said okay I'm more establishment guy I have no interest in voting for this guy uh, you know that is a big Big, that's a big uh factor as we as we go into November now looking at it. Can Republicans motivate some of these Trump voters who feel that they haven't may they may or may not have benefited much from the Trump administration? They don't necessarily they might not like a lot of the things that are going on. I mean, I saw a, a couple interviews, and this doesn't matter. But you watch, you watch on TV, a couple interviews with people who say that they voted for Connor Lamb and they had voted for Trump. Um, I'm sure that that's the case. But you know, people felt now. One thing to remember here is that Connor Lamb, his family is is like political royalty in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. So as you said, it's a candidate. And the bottom line, it comes down to is a candidate. He was a unique. Type of personality for this. He's got the pedigree. He's got the looks. He's tall. He looks. He's thirty years younger than his opponent. Um, sometimes that. In this case, in in this race, it was clearly a plus. And I think Republicans from the get-go had issues with Saccone as just not being. Uh, ready for this type of race, didn't raise a lot of money, didn't have a great campaign operation on his own. He wasn't the first choice of, of Washington, which of course itself is, is interesting. The Democrats coalesced around one candidate right away. The Republicans didn't necessarily do that. And we've seen that a lot where the party picks the candidate or the local party picks the candidate who the national party might not necessarily want. Except for the fact that he had the president of the United
1: States oh, for sure. in the district sort of doing a a rally, uh, uh, you know, a campaign rally, like, you know, as aggressively and as... as, Oh, I'm not suggesting
0: at all that this is not a huge comeuppance for the GOP here, that this should be setting off alarm bells all over the place. But there are so many things that go into a campaign. It's tough to figure out, at least right now, in the first 24 hours, first 36 hours, exactly what went wrong to try and figure this out. Um, But, you know, I, I think we'll have, you know, weeks going forward to try and Uh, Figure that out. I mean, which if I'm looking at this, um, if I'm looking at this, you know, for a local race here. Okay, If I'm looking at, you you know, something that in New York, uh, who should be the most nervous if you're looking at this? Say again. How, uh, who should be the most nervous? A member of Congress here in New York, who's thinking about? I mean, this is an open seat. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a little bit of a different thing. But what? I mean, I have in my mind, I can think of somebody who could who should be particularly nervous.
1: Okay, if I'm in New York, if I'm in New York State, I mean, every congressional the, Republican is going to have a challenge. I mean, look, you you look up. Oh, they're the going to have a challenge, right? But who is
0: who who is vulnerable? Based on you are looking at this and you're saying, okay, Trump won my district. Okay, we'll take those who Trump won my districts, won it handily. I should be able to, you know, I, you know, I have to worry now, even though Trump were my district, I gotta be scared here about what's going to happen to me in 2018. I'm thinking to me, I'm looking at, you know, Tenny Brindisi and I'm thinking to myself, okay, Claudia Tenny's probably banking on the fact that Trump won her district, but there's one as opposed to let's say in Faso or Zeldin, where there's going to be a heated primary, or even at least Stefanik, where there's a heated heated primary. There's a one-on-one race that kind of you have here, and you have you know a good candidate running against you now Trump again. Trump won the district, but. You can't rely on that anymore, based on this.
1: I can't, you know. I'm as you know, I'm biased. I, you know. I know you're biased. I'm not telling you. who
0: I'm not saying who's going to win. I'm saying who should be worried.
1: Look, I, I, like, I, I think you know what. Last night, yeah, excuse me. What Tuesday, I think John Fassler
0: should also be worried.
1: Look, I think any you know any Republican who look you you need to run on something right. When I ran for office, you know, your first time you run, you can sort of have to ask the, the voters to trust you. The first time you run for office, you don't have a record, you're asking the voters to trust you. Once you've been in office one time, you've got to stand on something. You've got to say, I was able to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And as you and I both see, and and I don't think anything's going to change in the next next six or eight months, Republicans do not have anything to stand on, right? As we learned, again— tax cuts. it didn't work this week and not only not only did, forget that it didn't work we don't know if, if it worked because they didn't even use it because it pulled so poorly think about that this their one the one accomplishment that republicans did to to ensure a talking point didn't pull it pulled so poorly that the republican candidate chose not to use it in the campaign and so if you're a, if you're a republican in in a district and take a look again using pennsylvania that Trump won by twenty points or less. You have a problem on your hands. I mean, look, the energy is, as you and I have have talked about before, right? It's the first midterm, you know, the the the, the party opposite the one in the White House tends to do better. That's correct. Protect, I think particularly this White House is going to have is going to have extra trouble. And so, congressional republicans well this are white house this white house
0: plenty of trouble
1: the we one pro- thing we
0: probably should start we probably should get into that as, i, I, know, we time will, is I will
1: just say the one thing the republicans have to hang their hat on is that i think they'll do fine in the senate i mean i think they'll be able to hold on to the senate i mean i think that the map is just so much in the republican favor yeah it really is that they're not gonna have any the republicans aren't gonna have any trouble in the senate and, and it's just gonna be a matter of the house but but look i think there's gonna be a lot more weeks where you and i go into this and uh, i'm excited
0: well, let's let's talk about the uh, and and obviously what's dominated the news this week. Uh, I should say that there are plenty of things <laughs> that dominate the news. There is no way. Dominated this, the news is, exactly. Since I woke up this morning, but you know, obviously, our Secretary of State comes back from overseas and he comes back early. Uh, presumably, he had some inkling that he was uh, his his days were numbered. But he then wakes up at four a.m. to find out that he has been, or gets in at four a.m., find out that by six twenty or whatever he was fired over Twitter. And um, I will say uh, the clearly we know that The Apprentice was a fictional reality show because <laughs> the president does not actually like to say you're fired to people. And and it, but it's just it's chaos. I mean, I hate to say it, and. Uh, Talk about this all the time. The personnel issues are very significant. You just don't have cabinet secretaries, particularly the secretary of state, leaving at this rapid clip i mean think about it in addition to the secretary of state the president's body man was fired and escorted out the door for a security clearance issue that's two guys who very close to the president okay with a staff secretary a couple weeks ago out. another communications hope hicks is out i mean it's just unbelievable as to what is going on in this white house Um, i'm
1: gonna let my silence do the talking here i mean i really i what do you say i mean what do you say how do you I think there was a lot of people, and I want to be clear because, you know, and you listen to some of the the news, the talk shows, right? And even, you know, sort of MSNBC, CNN, and there's some of them and some of the hosts who sort of talk about Rex Tillerson. Oh, he was so great. I can't believe Trump fired him like this. Look, I don't think Rex Tillerson was that great. I don't think I mean, I think that the State Department was ineffective, gutted, actually, ineffective, right? They, they didn't they didn't appoint people to keep posts. I mean, you could keep talking about the slow pace of confirmations. But when you don't actually make appointments, you can't confirm. And so the State Department has been decimated under Rex Tillerson. And so I'm not going to shed a tear over Rex Tillerson or, you know, sort of talk about like, oh, what a great guy. And I, I feel like sort of postmortem, you know, you see these talk show hosts and said like, oh, I feel so bad for Rex Tillerson. I don't. What I do feel bad is for you and I as citizens of a country where the president literally is hiring and firing via Twitter. I mean, think about that. Think about that in small little startup companies, right? You just, these are things you don't do. This is the president of the United States. And forget how you and I feel.
0: Why is it necessary to humiliate people who work for you? It's what I think what the president doesn't understand is the fact that he hired these people and brought them into the administration is also a reflection on him. Once you
1: hire somebody and then get rid of them, it's still a reflection on you. I'm I'm I, I, I really I hesitate to think about not just about what you and I feel and, and what we think, but what of like it isn't somebody. The president makes the comments about Africa. He calls them something I I don't want to repeat. Right. And then the, the the Secretary of State takes his first trip to Africa, meets with ambassadors, heads of state. That's all they want to right? talk about. And the first thing that happens when they get home, right? This African country or African, you know sort of ambassador or leader sort of is, is feeling quite okay, great. We just met the head of the department, you know, the Secretary of State. We feel reassured now. he He calmed us down about sort of what what the President said. The day he gets back, the President fires that Secretary of State. If you're those leaders of Africa, what are you thinking? What are you possibly thinking? I'm going to let
0: my silence uh, speak for that. But but I think uh, we definitely need to mention a, another situation of a former ex-employee reflecting on their political boss uh, this week. Nice transition. And, and, and if you're in New York, you, and a lot of people out there might not know the name Joe Prococo. But if you're a new person in New York politics for the last decade or so, or even more, Joe Prococo was a, uh, a, a man of incredible influence. In the halls of power in Albany. Actually, I'd say all over the state. And now he's been convicted of and a, a strange verdict. I mean, a split verdict uh, that they convicted some of his the, the, the co-defendants as well. But the fact is that Joe Prococo, who was the right hand man, the enforcer of Governor Cuomo for so long, uh, was has now been convicted of essentially uh, of, of graft of
1: bribery. You know, I'll tell you this. And when I was in the state assembly, when Joe Percoco called you, it was as if the governor himself was calling you. Right. If you're having a conversation with Joe Percoco and he said X, Y or Z was going to happen, that is what was sort of speaking for the governor. And so to think that this was just some guy or just some employee um, would be completely mischaracterizing what this is. I mean, this was literally the governor's right hand man. And it's disappointing. Look, it, it, it's a poor reflection on the entire state of New York and, and the entire state government. Um, you know, Joe and I knew each other. We had many, many conversations over the years. I had a, nothing but respect for him. But I think like everybody, I'm just shocked and disappointed. Um, I'm shocked and disappointed by the charges. And, and of course, now that he's been convicted, it, it's just it's a really sad day. It's another day where New Yorkers look to their government and they just lose a certain sense of trust. And here's what's interesting, right? We're going right into an election year. And I think the question for most- With of, the governor on the ballot. With the governor on the ballot. Or for most of us in politics- We think. Right. I mean, for most of us in politics, you wonder, like, what's the impact? You know, this is was the governor's right-hand man. You're going into re-election. I mean, look, you take a look at Chris Christie and, and Bridgegate. Now, the difference is, is Chris Christie's name was all intertwined in Bridgegate. And what did he know? And when did he know it? And how did he know- and so it wasn't exactly the same as this case. But I mean, you're, you're seeing a similar situation where the governor's right hand man is now going to end up going to prison. I think his, his sentencing is going to be in June, you know, that you're talking about going right into primary um, and then general election season. And so even if you don't think a Republican can be credible, there's talk of serious Democratic primaries sort of stepping up, whether it's, uh, you know, from the left, whether it's something from the Working Families Party or we've heard. The famous Sex and the City actor Cynthia Nixon has been sort of threatening a run. Big ally of Bill de Blasio has been threatening a run. There's no question the governor is going to is is not going to get a walk in the park.
0: Now, is this more somebody would ask out there? Is this more egregious than Skelos and Silver or is this just more of the same?
1: Um, You know, look, we need to rebuild the trust in state government. And so, you know, a crime is a crime is a crime. You know, you know, can't. It's hard to differentiate which convictions are worse and which ones have a bigger impact. But look, this is a sitting governor who campaigned on the idea time and time again. I'm going to clean up Albany. I'm going to get to Albany. I'm going to clean up. And whether he knew it or not, it was happening right under his nose. And so I don't know if the governor knows. He says he didn't know what was going on. If he didn't know, he should have known. And this is very, very disappointing to, you know, somebody who I worked with for for a long time.
0: Yeah, look, Joe Prokoko was running the campaign at the time that he was doing that. But he apparently was also doing time in the governor's office, which I know personally was... Michael, you worked in the governor's office. Right, but it was a big no-no. I mean, I will tell you that when I went on, work to campaigns, and I did it several times, you know, they cut off my access, they cut off my email. I had no access to anything because those were the precautions that they took in in the administration that I was part of. And I'm, you know, I'm actually pretty surprised that that wasn't done in this case. Um, Well, anyway, we're out of time for this week, Phil, and uh, stay tuned for... Jew in the city speaks with Allison Josephs here on the Nagels Siegel network see you next week